I think the best way to capture a story is to know the story you're sharing and to know the story to tell. When I think of story, I think of a person's journey. So I think to understand that and to recognize that, to know the best way to show it to the outside world, to put in somebody's life into a viewable term. A good story can make you feel a certain way or inform you about something. It, it seeks to deliver a reason, a meaning, a message. A story is something that you can relate to. It has dynamic and it has change. It can start off one way and change a different way. And that's the value of getting to watch someone as they go, go through their story. The Fellowship Story Team is super helpful. They're, they're fun to get to know and the experiences and stuff you'll pick up on will last throughout your time. I think someone should join if they have a passion like me for whether it be photography or graphic design or video. It's also a good idea to join just to meet new people and uh, make new friends. What makes the Story Team experience unique is the fact that you are getting to serve in a way that allows you to grow a skill while also allowing you to grow in a community of people who are in the same work as you. I think it's a really cool place to serve because not only are you growing in a technical skill that you can serve with your church, but you can also serve your community with or grow professionally in. I've always wanted to pursue like a video career. I think that sharing stories like what we're doing here is very powerful and I learned that we could do that through a God-honoring way with our church and I was like that sounds awesome so I got the opportunity to hang out with Kyle and Will for a bit one day on a one shoot and I just really liked it. It was a good time. Usually at the, uh, Fellowship Store, we have a, a certain thing that we do, whether it be like taking pictures, storyboarding, taking a video, editing, graphic design. Just week by week, we have a certain theme that we participate and undertake. The story team has been a very important opportunity for our son, Rhett. So he's always had a passion for this, and I think this allows Rhett to take his passion and help fellowship. Um, tell the story to different parts of the church ministry and now getting exposure to different uh, techniques and things like that that can spread his influence across uh, fellowship. I would recommend this team to somebody because it's a place where you can learn a skill but also have a community of people around you. Um, especially if you have any interest in it at all to just come through the door one day and just See what it's like, get yourself involved, see if this is something that you're interested in. Something I really love is the mission and vision of the Fellowship Student Story Team Ministry is its idea to want to continue to produce and release leaders. Producing in the sense of training, equipping, you don't have to know anything before you walk through the door. Um, and just equipping you and training you in the way that you can learn so that you can pour into others who are younger than you or who may not know as much and be able to take what you learn and also pour it into others while also being poured into to growing and creating this cycle of produce and release wherever you are. If, uh, if that ministry interests you, if you're a student or not a student, um, you can contact Kyle Kleber and get connected with the story team. Their, their kind of vision is to capture the life change stories that are happening around Fellowship Bentonville um, so that we can all celebrate what God is doing in our hearts and lives as a people. Um, good morning. Welcome to Fellowship Bentonville. 
My name is Kyle Plunkett. I'm a part of the FSM, the Fellowship Student Ministries team. Um, I love getting to partner with you as parents and cell group leaders in the room and host homes and seeing our students in FSM belong together, behold Jesus, and ultimately become disciples and followers of him. Um, I also love these mornings specifically. I love First Sundays because First Sundays we get to worship together as high school and junior high students uh, in, in the greater body of fellowship. I think there's a, just a certain amount of, of beauty that happens when we get to gather as a whole collective body. And I love what we get to go do in FSM on our own. Uh, but I really, really enjoy these first Sundays where we get to worship together as one family, um, all under the same roof. Um, I have a couple of introductions I'd, I'd like to make to y'all. Um, I don't think they're still here yet, but this is my team. This is the FSM team. If we get a picture, there we go. Uh, they are still running the seventh grade parent meeting that we had in between services. If you're a seventh grade parent and you missed that meeting, that's okay. Hey, Houston, <laughs> come find me after this and we can, give you all, uh, we can give you all the details. But because it's a first Sunday, because we have cell groups launching, because we have uh, a lot of things happening in FSM, I just wanted to brag on my team a moment. So next to me, uh, that's Becca Greer. She is our administrative professional. And she, uh, the ministry that we get to do as a student team literally would not happen without Queen Becca. And we call her Queen Becca. So if you're emailing Becca ever, you get to call her Queen Becca if you'd like. You don't have to. Ethan, you probably shouldn't because that's your mom. Um, <laughs> next to Becca, we have Lauren Shelberg. Lauren is a part of our, uh, she's a part of the, the resident ministry team. So that means she splits time with FSM. Um, she splits time between FSM, a classroom, some community, um, and has a part-time job and is engaged. So she has a very, very full fall uh, ahead of her. And she is just a team unifier. She loves Jesus deeply um, and is so excited to be a part of our team um, for this next year. Next to Lauren, we have, I'm gonna skip Tori for a moment. Uh, we got Houston Clifton. Sole teammate up here with me this morning. Thanks for joining me, Houston. Uh, Houston owns all things celebration in FSM. So um, Sunday morning, leader training, uh, discipleship, transformation, kind of everything we get to do from a, a Sunday morning worship experience all falls under Houston's leadership. And he has a, a, a deep desire to see leaders and students um, know Jesus deeply and, and walk with him closely. And he, he shepherds them into this space that allows all of us under his leadership to worship every Sunday morning together as a body. I'm really thankful for your leadership, Houston. Um, next to Houston, we have Rochelle Quintanilla. Rochelle is our newest team member. She jumped on like five days ago. And so she's got a lot, uh, a lot headed her way. Rochelle, um, has grown up in fellowship. She was a part of Fellowship Student Ministries as a student. She, was also, she also led a cell group from seventh grade through 12th grade. And most recently, um, she's been a, a public school teacher for the last three or four years and has just really felt a calling um, on her life from, from the Lord to step out of public school teaching and into uh, vocational pastoral ministry. She has an unreal heart for students who are potentially struggling with their identity or struggling with their faith um, or even struggling to, to feel like they belong in the world as a junior high or high school student um, and also an unreal heart for uh, students who love the Lord and want to follow him and are excited about everything that happens around here at Fellowship. And so she's gonna make a phenomenal addition to our team, uh, the FSM ministry. If y'all 
Um, if y'all don't know her, which will be most of you in this room, and that's okay, um, find a way to reach out, take her to coffee. I would love for Rochelle to immediately feel like she's a part of what we're doing here at Fellowship Bentonville. And then last but not least, the uh, potentially the most joy-filled and saddest introduction we have on the team is Tori Tut. Tori's right there in the middle. She's the one very obviously holding a baby, un- unborn baby yet. Uh, we love, love Tori. Um, Tori, yes! This is perfect. <laughs> so this is Tori, and we don't do this often. Um, I think fellowship's pretty good, and maybe appropriately so, about keeping leadership kind of um, in the back so we can, we can serve, and, and, I, and I love that. But Tori deserves, um, she deserves a shout-out. She will be on our team for the next, could be two weeks, could be three, could be four. We're not totally sure um, until she steps away from vocational ministry and into lifelong discipleship of her, her new baby, uh, Carter and her having, within the next couple of weeks. And so um, Tori will go from ministry in FSM to ministry in the home and around FSM. We're going to keep you around as best we can. Uh, but let me, let me just brag on Tori for a moment. Here's a, a few things you need to know about Tori Tut. Tori loves Jesus with all of her heart, mind, soul, and strength, and she loves everybody around her like herself. Tori is a faithful steward of God's word, and she can teach like it's nobody's business. I think if anybody has sat under her teaching in FSM uh, or on a Wednesday night, they've been blessed by Tori's gift of handling the scriptures accurately. Um, Tori loves producing and releasing spiritual leaders. Some of the best cell group leaders I've ever been around have come out from under Tori's care and leadership um, in our FSM world. And, uh, and finally, the, and I don't really know how to phrase this exactly, and I really fumbled through it at the first service, but the spiritual health of Bentonville as a whole, especially in our junior highs and high schools, has not looked the same since Tori Tut joined the FSM team. The last seven years of her leadership and her ministry has, has changed lives. Uh, Jesus has changed lives through her. It's, it's changed family trajectories even. And I know junior highs and high schools don't look the same because of the people who learn to love like Jesus loves um, because they've learned it from Tori Tut. And so, if y'all will, can we, can we give some love to Tori as she is uh, headed to be a mama? We love you, Tori. And then, yes, this is Rochelle. We talked about you when you weren't here. So y'all can meet Rochelle at some point. So it's the best. All right. Love y'all. See y'all later. Um, like I said, if, if you have a seventh grade student and you missed the parent meeting, truly no shame. We only scheduled one, and I'm realizing now in between services it may have been a mistake. Uh, come find us after the service. We'd love to give you information about how to get your student connected in FSM. Um, we're going to kick off the rest of the morning with a couple of baptisms. And so can I invite out Logan, time of sin, and the senior cell group. Y'all can go ahead and come up here. This is Logan. And uh, Logan is a part of our student ministries, and his life has been changed by Jesus. And he wants to publicly proclaim this morning um, in front of you all that Jesus is not only his Lord, but Jesus is also his Savior uh, that he has given his life to Jesus as king uh, to submit under his leadership for the rest of his days. And uh, when, I f- when I first met Logan, um, maybe Colorado, was that the first time? 
So Lo- I didn't know who Logan was, which was really embarrassing. Hunter House actually sent me a picture of him. He's like, do you know who this kid is? He's in your, your, in your ministry. And I was like, no, not yet. And uh, Logan and I got to become really close um, over the Colorado trip we do. Where we take our high school students to Timberline and Ravencrest. And uh, over that week, it was, it was just evident, by the way, Logan, that you, you lead and you love others around you. Um, and even just some fruits of the Spirit, as I, I think through your story, um, really the first three, if we're going through the list, of love, joy, and peace just radiates out of your life. I see the way that you love the scriptures, you love your friends, you love your cell group. I see the way that um, because of your love for Jesus, the joy in you is overflowing. And because of that, you lead with just an unreal amount of peace, um, and it blesses those guys around you. Do you all agree with that? Okay, I agree too. So Logan, is it your testimony uh, that you have given your life to Jesus, you love him, and you want to follow him the rest of your days? Yes. Okay. I think now you sit down. Then I baptize you uh, in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in new life. Logan Thomas and everybody. <laughs> awesome, dude. All right, and next we have Carly and Drew Lux um, are gonna step down into the baptismal. If, uh, if baptism is maybe on your heart and you, you haven't been baptized before, um, just wanna take a moment to invite you to speak with somebody around here who looks like they kind of know what they, they're doing. And so they could have a name tag on, uh, they could be up front or anything like that. Um, but if you wanna be baptized, please talk to me or to Tori or to Mark or to Abel or to Beth. Um, or, or relate to anybody, um, anybody else. And so, Brian, go ahead. Good morning, fellowship. Um, hopefully you all can hear me. Um, so I get the pleasure today of introducing you to my two children, Carly and Drew Lux. Um, they have both come to us independently and have expressed their desire to follow and trust Jesus for the rest of their lives. Um, so I just, uh, for Carly and Drew, I want you guys to look over here and see all these people that love you because I think I try to teach them that relationships is more important than anything else on the planet. And it's more important than gold, silver. And just look out here, and whenever you feel lonely, just see these faces out here and all the different people that have made their way here and let you know that they love you. And then therefore you can share love with others. Don't fall yet. Um, This is my firecracker, by the way. She told me I had to practice more back there. Um, (laughs) So... uh, uh, today's her birthday, too, so it should be a day, yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I don't normally write stuff out, but I can't screw this up because I got two, and if I have a bad day, I ruin it for both of them. Um, so when Carly was seven years old, um, I was reading to her the Old Testament story of Passover, and when the angel of death came and they put the blood on the doorpost symbolizing a sacrifice, And then after that, um, Carly had lots of questions, and we went into the story of Jesus and how he took um, the place and then became a lamb for us so that when he died for us, we could therefore connect with God and go to heaven. Um, And what was crazy is she was seven at the time. We weren't sure if she actually knew um, everything that needed to be known to be baptized, but as a seven-year-old, the next day, she asked if she could go to church um, at a different church in ours because they didn't have a Good Friday service. Um, so we went to some random church um, because she wanted to go as a seven-year-old. So, and, and during that service, she drew cartoons of the, the gospel message. Um, so we knew that she was close. 
And um, over the years, her faith has continued to grow, and it's evident how much she loves Jesus. And now I'm going to go to Drew, and then we'll baptize both of you guys. Um, Drew is um, just a great kid, um, one of the best people I know. He's 10, um, but he is one of the best people I know. He has one of the best hearts. He has one of the best spirits about him. Um, he's, it's almost like he's never not known the love of God. Um, but for us, he's a true blessing to our family. He's so in tune with other people's feelings, and he's a peacemaker, and he's always wanted everyone to be happy. And uh, he, too, believes that Jesus loves him deeply and uh, wants others to know that. So I asked both of you this morning, Carly and Drew, are you here today to tell everyone that you have trusted in Jesus to pay for your sins and give you eternal life? Yeah, okay, all right, you're up first. Let's do it. All right, go ahead and sit down. Hold your nose. All right, Carly, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, give me a hug, give me a hug. All right, Drew. You ready, buddy? All right. Hold your nose. All right. Uh, and uh, God, I pray too for Drew. I pray that um, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I baptize you, Drew. All right. Thanks. Come on. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, everybody. Well, amen. What a beautiful moment. Um, hey, really quickly, if you are in one of these two center sections, um, would you stand and scoot towards the middle just a little bit? That'll help our ushers out a ton as they're seating new people as they're coming in. Uh, and while they're doing that to help them blend in, would everyone else just please stand? Let's celebrate that moment with song. This song's about finding life, true life in Jesus. I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures of faith are never enough. Then you came along And you put me back together Now every desire is now satisfied Here in your love And oh, there's nothing
church, let's sing this. Jesus, as your body here gathered, we declare that there is nothing better than life with you, Lord. And you are not uh, just about saving uh, an eternal life to come, although you are, Lord, but you've also promised to dwell with us right now. We have availability to life with you right now, Jesus, and that is better than anything else. Lord, this morning, uh, we give you our song, we give you our offering, we give you a part of our lives, Lord, and we're always seeking to give you more. Lord, as we take up offering in this moment, um, I pray that you would use this act to change our hearts, to look more like you. And Lord, I pray that you would take what we give and you would use it to expand your kingdom in this world, Lord. We love you. We do all of this this morning in your name, Jesus. Amen. You can have a seat.
Jesus, we acknowledge that one day when you return, everyone, everything will bow and confess that you are Lord. For now, you allow us the incredible privilege and honor and grace of standing in your arms and declaring you that willingly now. We join in with a chorus. We'll declare you as Lord and follow you in allegiance. We love you. It's in your name your people say. Amen. You may be seated. But what about those times when our lives don't back up what we just proclaimed? Or when we fall, maybe epically, in a way that we wonder if there's any recovery? What then? One of our artists, Evan Crawford, has written a short reflection of the Apostle Peter uh, after his famous falling. Tune in your ears. Exhausted, grieving, 
trying to forget the trauma of the crucifixion by doing something familiar and concrete. Fishing. The past few weeks, the last few years, what did it all mean? I had so many questions and unspoken, unseen tears of sorrow. That morning was still dark. Tiny bits of light peeked over the hill on that side of the lake. Come and have breakfast, he said. So casual and familiar, it, it felt normal, like no time had passed. Again, the divine sharing a meal with me. The longer I sat with him eating, the more the light in the sky grew. It was chilly, but the sun would soon warm the dew off the marshy grass, and the wet sand would dry to dust and slide across the shoreline the way it did every day. Being, Je being with Jesus that morning was both sweet and sad for me, but he was, as he always was, holy trustworthy, providing, and loving. We sat in contentment as the sea lazily lapped up against the shore. He spoke to me. I wouldn't realize his meaning until later. He was forgiving me, resurrecting me with three questions. Do you love me? for three denials. I did not perceive in my human density. I was physically sleepy from a satisfying meal after working all night. I, I wish I had been able to see with spiritual sight, with the post-Pentecost spirit and fire, but I was still dim that morning, like the early dawn, taking its time to melt away the shadows of night and deep water darkness on the sea. Follow me. Those words were both haunting me and drawing me into a future I could not see, a path I would not have known. But he was already there, seeing the end from the beginning. My spirit was willing to do anything. He said, follow me. like to fall that badly. You haven't lived up to the promises that you made. Maybe, worse yet, maybe you've even betrayed the promises and those you've made them to. And failure leaves you feeling dejected, more than discouraged. You just feel shelved. I mean, when you fall that badly, it's game over, isn't it? And yet, where do you go from that? Well, in this last encounter in the Gospel of John, 
By the way, for the last 21 weeks, we've taken a journey through the Gospel of John together. We've looked at who Jesus is by looking at his seven I am statements. We've looked at what Jesus can do by looking at his seven miracles. And then we've looked at how Jesus changes a life by looking at seven one-on-one encounters he has with individuals. And summer went by quickly, so did the spring, because here we are at the last of those 21 weeks. And it falls in the last chapter of the Gospel of John. And it's Jesus' encounter with the Apostle Peter. He's fallen so badly. And to understand the encounter, sometimes you need to ask the person who had the fall. Because nobody could tell us about it better than than Peter himself. Peter gave his eyewitness testimony of what it was like to hear and watch and learn from Jesus. He gave it to a young man named John Mark. John Mark wrote that down, and that's how we have the the gospel of Mark. And so through Peter's own ears and eyes and heart, hear the account of his fall. It started with a promise just hours before the failure. In Mark chapter 14, verse 27, they're in the upper room at the Last Supper, and Jesus said to the disciples, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And Peter said to him, Even if they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to Peter, I tell you the truth today, yeah, this very night, before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I must die with you, I will never deny you. Folks, I can't imagine a bolder promise on the screen. The only more audacious thing Peter could have said is, Jesus, don't you worry, I'll save your life. But short of that, he has put as bold a promise on the table as he can. He's pledged his very life. And yet a few hours later, Jesus will be arrested. His disciples will follow a little bit of distance behind as Jesus is dragged before the rulers, the Sanhedrin. And out in the courtyard, they will stay at a distance and a charcoal fire will be lit. It's a chilly night. So Peter draws close to that charcoal fire. And in that charcoal fire, around the fire, is a slave girl, probably there to restoke the fire with more charcoal. And she sees Peter, and she says, I recognize you. You were with him. To that, Peter responds, I don't even understand what you're talking about. This is called dodging the question totally denies the issue at hand, and and she continues to persist. No, no, you were with him, and he says, she says, this man is one of them, but he denied it. Then a man standing next to that little girl, he says, you know, I think she's onto something. I mean, listen to his accent. He's got a Yankee accent. He's from up north in Galilee. He must be one of them. And then Peter began to curse. And he swore an oath. I do not know this man you're talking about. It's said that pride comes before the fall. And here, the fall is absolutely as low as the boastful pride was high. Where do you go after that? 
as we go to grief and bitterness, because the next line tells us in verse 72 of Mark 14, immediately a rooster, a rooster crowed to second time. Then Peter remembered what Jesus had said to him. Before a rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. And if you're reading in NIV, it says he wept bitterly. How do you come back from that kind of crushing shame and guilt? Well, after Jesus' resurrection, he appears to his disciples two times that are recorded. Both times, uh, Jesus is part of the group. Here's what I wonder, though. Did he really feel like he was part of the group? Or did he feel like there's no way he's part of the team anymore? He's already denied him. Is he stuck with a life of wearing the uniform but knowing he's really not on the team? And then Jesus moves next. Peter and his disciples go back to doing what they know best, which is fishing. And there on the Sea of Galilee shore, Jesus appears again. And that's our encounter in John chapter 21 at the end of the Gospel of John, verse 9. When the disciples who were fishing got out on the beach, they saw a charcoal fire ready with a fish placed on it and bread. Come, have breakfast, Jesus said. But none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Some memories are, are triggered by smell, aren't they? You ever have those moments where you can smell something and go back to where you were, either good or bad? Fresh cut grass in the summertime? The smell of that takes us back to a tragic event in our family's life. Every summer. I can make a hospital visit and get a familiar smell of a hospital waiting room and go back to 20-something years ago and oncology visits. They just take you back. What kind of fire does Jesus build to make this meal? You wonder, as Jesus smells the charcoal fire, if he goes back to the night of that, that betrayal, what would Jesus say to him? How about this? Join me for breakfast. You're still welcome around my fire. Talk about grace. But as Peter approaches and sits and starts the meal, who's going to break the awkward silence? I mean, the last time we talked, it was a bad scene. Jesus in grace moves next. He breaks the silence in verse 15. Then when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these do? He replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus told him, feed my lambs. Jesus said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus told him, shepherd my sheep. And Jesus said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was distressed, but Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you already know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus replied, feed my sheep. So many similarities of between Jesus' fall and Jesus' restoration. And Carrie already took us through so many of those in his reflection. But, 
But again, don't miss the fact that both the fall and the restoration happen around a charcoal fire. Both the fall and the restoration happen around three questions. But something's very different about the restoration than the fall. Jesus calls Peter by his birth name. How odd. The last time the scriptures record that Jesus ever called Peter Simon, son of John, was in John chapter 1, when Jesus meets him and calls him to follow for the first time. Simon, son of John, come, follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. From then on, he had changed Peter's name to the rock. But now he takes him back to his birth name. It's just my hunch. I think Jesus is bringing Peter back to the beginning to begin again. I think he's taking him back to where it started, to start all over. Because sometimes when you've fallen, the best thing you can do is go back to where you started and start again. He restores Peter, not coincidentally, in the exact same situation in which he was called to be an apostle, a disciple in the first place. He, he waited to restore him. He could have done it in Jerusalem when he saw him two times. But he waited till he's back at the Sea of Galilee after they had fished all night and after they had caught a miraculous catch of fish. And then he reissues the call. Men and women, do you see what that means? Your failure is not final with Jesus. Your failure is only final if you're the only one in the story. But with Jesus in the story, who is the Redeemer, well, Redeemer, well, Redeemer's first job is to redeem. And that's what he does here. He redeems Peter by restoring him back to his discipleship, back to following him again. And in this little recovery episode, this restoration episode of discipleship, I see four little aspects of following Jesus that I will never outgrow. This summer is the 40th anniversary of me declaring, Jesus, you have rights to lead my life from here on out. And I still never outgrow. Reading through this passage again this morning, I thought, Lord, I need this. I need this. I need this. The first aspect of following Jesus, well, uh, you saw it too, was in the three questions. Remember, the slave girl asked Peter, are you with me? But Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me, which must tell us that following Jesus flows from a heart of love. And Jesus still asks his followers, even this morning, we followers, do you love me? It's the first and most fundamental question. In fact, the most complimentary thing that could be said about you is that you love Jesus. She loves Jesus. He loves the Lord. I hope you're a good man and a good woman, but I hope even more that you can say you're growing in your love for Jesus. Now, I've heard it said before that um, love is not a feeling. Love is an action. Yeah, some of you have heard it too. And I agree, love always flows to action, but men and women, love is not just an action, and you know that because you have dutifully gone about your life and fulfilled your checklists to the people that you say you love even knowing your heart has grown cold. You, you've obeyed the Lord at times, 
moving through the motions and knowing that apathy has set in on your spiritual life. No, no, love includes actions, but love is not merely actions. Love is a bent of the heart. It's a posture of the heart. It's what uh, probably America's uh, first and greatest theologian back in the first great awakening, Jonathan Edwards, called an affection, a bent, a posture of the heart. And Jesus is asking here, Peter, do you have a bent, an affection towards me? What do you treasure most? What do you cherish most? And these are gut-level questions for all of us as followers of Jesus because they're questions of the heart. And so three times he says, Peter, do you love me more than these others that you boasted in front of? Uh, Peter, do you uh, treasure me more than your fishing business? In other words, your livelihood. Peter, do you cherish me more than your reputation, more than your wounded pride? Peter, do you love me? They're fundamental questions for us as followers of Jesus, and it is a lifelong pursuit. Yes, it includes actions, but those actions must flow from affections. And here's what strikes me in the conversation. It's what's not said in the text. You would expect Peter to be the one asking the question. Jesus, do you still love me? But it doesn't come up. Why? Because Jesus' love is settled. And Jesus' love is set on you. And it's never in question. In fact, God's love is so constant and so full, he could not increase it towards you. It does not rise and it does not fall on your rising and your falling. It is set and settled, and the cross proves it. And when we turn back at times and say, yeah, Lord, I know the cross, but, but if you loved me, you would also. We've now put him in a box where he must now perform for us every day his love. No, it's proved, it's set, it's settled, and it's not in question. The only question is, do we love him out of that great love that he has for us? How about the second thing we see about daily discipleship for us as followers of Jesus? Again, I know it's obvious, but let's don't miss the obvious things. We see, secondly, that what starts with love does actually move to an action, right? Love leads to service. So isn't this a, such a fascinating conversation? Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, I love you. And Jesus says, then take care of them. You love me, serve them. You love me, serve them. My love for Jesus always leads to a service to others, always. Jesus is not telling Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, I love you. Good, go prove it. He doesn't say prove it. He says, show it. Show it by loving those around you. And that shouldn't surprise us because that's just like Jesus and so consistent with his entire three-year pilgrimage with his disciples. Remember, he was asked, what is the first and greatest commandment. And he said it is to 
Love God with everything that you are. But then Jesus throws in, and the second is like it. In other words, I'm going to link another to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, our love for the Lord always flows to service of others. You can't separate the two because it's a cause-effect relationship. When I love Jesus, it shows up. And it doesn't just show up in my life. It shows up in the way I approach your life. Now, in Peter's case, his practical service of others was going to include shepherding Jesus' church, right? By the way, you can't, so he says, do you love me? Spiritually feed and spiritually lead my people, my sheep. I wonder if Peter was trying to visualize what that would mean. Okay, there's 11 of us. Maybe this thing will grow to 22. I don't think he could have pictured in his mind on his first sermon that a fellowship Bentonville-sized church would be born on day one. Yeah, Jesus was expanding his vision much bigger. Leading and feeding spiritually other people is how he showed his love for Jesus. And so can we pause and talk to those of you who have that privilege and honor here? At Fellowship, you might be a, an elder. You might be a community group leader here. You might be a high school or junior high cell group leader. You might be an elementary teacher. You might be in early childhood. I see tons of early childhood and elementary leaders in this second service through our high school ministry. Uh, you might be a discover leader. You might be a men's or women's discipleship leader, a ministry staff member. You might lead worship behind, serving in tech, or up front. And to you, this text simply says this. Thank you, because it matters to Jesus. Thank you. I know you feel like you're just kind of stepping in and doing a, a, a small thing, or maybe it is a larger thing for you. And Jesus says, it's not just for them. You've done this out of an overflow of your love for me. Yeah, it matters, not just to the men and women here at Fellowship, but it matters to Jesus. And I believe he smiles on that service. And maybe a couple of practical exhortations out of this text for those of you who are spiritually serving somewhere. Would it help you to see that Jesus uses two different words for people in the church? Some are sheep and some are lambs. Sheep is a Greek word that means a mature animal that walks well on its own. Lambs, not so much. An immature animal who does not walk well and therefore needs to be carried along. Men and women, welcome to the normal local church. Sheep and lambs sometimes stepping on each other. Yeah, you, and that's not always an age thing, is it? We have those in our student ministry right now who are living our lives as sheep. You are walking well and maturely. Thank you. We have those in our legacy ministry, our oldest ministry here at Fellowship, who maybe are still lambs spiritually struggling in their walk with Jesus. So it's not always a biological age thing, but it is the normal local church that we will have men and women at different levels of, of spiritual maturity. Second thing, I noticed that Jesus never asked Peter if he loved or liked sheep. He was a fisherman. Maybe he liked lamb chops, but he didn't like lambs necessarily. And that might be Jesus' point. You serve those who are mature and less mature because you love Jesus. 
even if right now your like for your ministry assignment is so-so. You've had those times too where you wonder if your service matters or if anybody ever sees it or is it making a difference? Do the seventh grade boys even know what you said in cell group? Or are they still making bodily noises and they can't even hear you talk? Does this matter? And I gave up another Wednesday night and I'm so tired of it. But Jesus matters to you. And those boys matter to him. And so you keep serving. Maybe you're the community group leader who, whose group meets on a Wednesday night and once again you left work late. Once again you're stuffing half a turkey sandwich down your mouth as you drive to community group. And once again, you've asked your wife to drive so that you could prep the lesson and not look like you're unprepared. Don't judge me, it's happened to you too, okay? (laughs) And you start wondering, does this matter? Because you go into that community group and only a third even showed up. And then we draw back to who matters. Jesus matters. So his people matter. And so we lead and we feed and we keep going because he's worth it. We serve out of love for him. Third thing I see in this text actually comes from the next line in Peter's conversation with Jesus. Verse 18, he says to Peter, I tell you the solemn truth. When you were young, you tied your clothes around you and you went wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and others will tie you up and bring you where you do not want to go. Now, Jesus said this to indicate clearly by what kind of death Peter was going to glorify God. And after he said this, Jesus told Peter, follow me. And now he gets to the bottom line. He tells Peter the high cost of following him. And the high cost is Peter's own physical life. And church tradition tells us that Peter was executed in A.D. 66 under Emperor Nero. He was crucified. Church tradition also tells us that he was crucified upside down because he did not believe he was worthy to die in the same manner as his Savior. Other church tradition tells us that Peter's wife was martyred too. Don't forget, Jesus is having a restoration dialogue with Peter at the beach. This is his feel-good moment. Why does Jesus ruin the feel-good moment by telling Peter about his impending death? Because Jesus wants to settle the matter of death early so that Peter can start living. Because until you've settled that, you can't really live fully. I'm a, a fan of reading World War II literature. And I've read that the first thing a Japanese fighter pilot had to do in World War II before they could take over the cockpit for the first time was visualize their own death and explain that back to their commander. And only then were they fit to live as a soldier. Every Christian must settle the issue of death as well if they're gonna be free to live as a follower of Jesus. 
And maybe for some in our body, it will be physical death. I don't know. Maybe the Lord will call you to dangerous and foreign, unreached people groups where you will give your life in the service of Jesus. Parents, you might have a young daughter or son right now who that's Jesus' call and best for their life. And it would cause you to have to live open-handedly, not just your child. But even if it's not physical death, let's shoot straight with each other. For every follower of Jesus, in order to live well with and for him, you must first recognize an ongoing spiritual death. Because our Savior is the one who came and said, if you want to follow me, then pick up your cross, die to yourself, and then follow me. Yeah, we all die to a self-led life in order to live the good life of a Jesus-led life. In fact, you cannot have two leaders of your life only the immature man or woman believes that they can have a self-led life and a Jesus-led life at the same time. It is not possible. And when you try it, and if that's you trying it, you are the most miserable person here this morning. The most miserable person is the self-led Christian. Because they have too much of Jesus to enjoy their sin anymore. But Jesus has too little of them for them to enjoy the abundant life. Maturity happens the moment we say, Lord, not my will, but yours. Lord, I give up living the self-led life, and I want you to lead my life. And that's the beginning of the good day, the good life. We take the leadership of Jesus and die to self. How about the fourth thing we see? in Peter's conversation with his Lord. It's in the very next verse, verse 20. Verse 20 says, Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. And so when Peter saw him, by the way, that's the Apostle John. When Peter saw the Apostle John, he asked Jesus, Lord, what about him? And Jesus replied, if I want him to live until I come back, what concern of that is yours? You follow me. And Peter did what you and I do. He played the comparison game. He turned around and he looked at another disciple. And he wondered how his life was going to measure up to theirs. And was this going to be fair? And we do it all the time. We've even created apps to help us do that full-time. So we're full-time gamers in the comparison game. That's what social media exists. Lord, is, is her life better than mine? Is his life easier than mine? To which Jesus loves us enough to look back at us and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. If I'm doing something different in their life, what is that to you? You follow me. Comparison is a momentum killer in our walk with Jesus. And even the grammar hammers home the, the point of discipleship here. All five verbs that Peter has had, or excuse me, Jesus has used with Peter 
are, have been communicated in what's known the uh, present active tense, meaning it's a continual active action. He, he first started by saying, Peter, keep feeding my people. Peter, keep leading them. Keep following me at all costs, even up to death. No matter what happens to anyone else, Peter, keep following me, which tells me that following Jesus is also a daily lifestyle. It's not a one-day decision. It's an each-day decision. So in this last encounter with Jesus, you have this dejected, discouraged disciple who is going to become the spiritual leader on the tip of the spear that's going to launch a global, millennium-long, multi-millennium-long spiritual movement. And it all happened from this to this because of a daily following of Jesus. Following Jesus, quite simply, it flows from a heart of love. Following Jesus leads to a, a life of service to others. Following Jesus requires obedience no matter the cost. And following Jesus is a daily decision. And men and women, discipleship of Jesus knows no other shortcut than those same four lessons in Peter's restoration. Oh, Lord, forgive us for looking for the shortcut. One of my uh, spiritual heroes was a man named Dr. Bill Bright. And that may really not mean much, particularly, let's say, if you're younger than 45 or so. Uh, the late Dr. Bill Bright, though, in the 1950s, was the founder. He was a businessman who chose to start a college ministry at UCLA, and he became the founder of what became a global missionary movement called Campus Crusade for Christ. It's now known as Crew International. I encountered Dr. Bright on a New Year's Eve uh, 40 years ago, sitting in a ballroom of 3,000 college students, and I sat in the corner seat furthest away next to the exit so that I could bolt because I was a miserable, self-led Christian. And Dr. Bright, in this middle-aged, non-flamboyant speaker, challenged us to sign the title deed of our life away to a daily following of Jesus. And I was hooked and wrecked and ruined for the better. I wouldn't know it, but after Lisa and I married and started our family, we'd leave my job and I would go on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ. And though I never knew Dr. Bright well, because at my later portion of my career, he was my boss's boss, I would find myself in meetings with him. He was this, well, he was very advanced into our legacy ministry years. And I never met a more bold and yet humble follower of Jesus at the same time. You know, as staff, it's so funny. We would ask Dr. Bright, when you come and this quarter's meeting, we'd love for you to talk to the staff about this, and we would, we would give him his assigned talk. And he was so pleasant. He would nod at us and then go back to teaching the same two messages that he always taught. You know what they were? Never, ever, ever lose your first love for Jesus. Always surrender daily to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It didn't matter. We asked him to do a talk on team building one time. He nodded, so that would be great. 
Never lose your, lose your love for Jesus. Surrender daily to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. By the way, best team building advice ever given. Best marriage counsel ever given. Best family counsel ever given. I remember uh, in his later years, him needing help while he traveled. Family friend of ours had become his trusted assistant, kind of his proxy to take notes and speak for him in meetings. And I once asked Lewis, Dr. Bright always says that he begins every morning before he gets, or right after he gets out of bed by dropping to his knees and praying, Lord Jesus, today I'm your bond servant. Put me on like a suit of clothes. Think through my mind. Love through my heart. Speak through my mouth. Serve through my hands. Today I am yours. I said, Lewis, does he really do that? He did every day. And I wonder if that's the secret to long-term discipleship. It knows no shortcut. And I close by offering you the opportunity to on this day, as a follower of Jesus, utter the same prayer. If it communicates the desire of your heart, just pray it along with me. Lord Jesus, I'm your bond slave today. Put me on like a suit of clothes. Walk through my body. Speak through my mouth. Love through my heart. Think through my mind. Serve through my hands. I commit my will to yours. Amen. That's the path to the good life. What do you say we do it again and again and again and have no regrets? But you know, the truth is, we can't do that alone. There's nobody who follows Jesus well and does it alone. Last night, my youngest son, uh, we gathered around his 16th birthday with some men who he respected in his life. And I said, hey, if you try to follow Jesus uh, alone, do you know what they call a follower of Jesus who travels by themselves? And he said, no, what? And I said, lost. Lost. And so we need each other to do so. And so our, our community team and family team as we launch August, has done such a good job giving us pathways to engage together. And first of all, if you're brand new here at Fellowship, man, you are one of the reasons we are here, and we are happy that you're here. But we have a newcomer's gathering for you right after this service. It only lasts for a few minutes, and it'll be across the courtyard in the Fellowship Student Ministries room, and all you have to do is walk to the courtyard, and our friendly folks that lead the ministry will guide you there from there. But then parents, parents, you need to know that uh, next week is promotion um, Sunday for all children. So next week is promotion Sunday for how many kids? Yeah, all children. So that means if you had a four-year-old, they're actually going to head to a five-year-old class. If you had a sixth grader, they're heading to student ministry for the first time. And seventh grade and on up. It's promotion uh, Sunday for all grades. And the reason next Sunday is promotion Sunday for all grades is because the next morning they wake up, they go to school. School starts. And so I'm looking at many of you here that I'm so grateful for, and you are teachers or aides or administrative staff at any level. And now I'm going to call you out and ask you to stand. 
because we think you're a bigger deal than you think you are. If you're a teacher, work in a school, I'm looking at several of you. Now, I really do mean you. Like, if your name is Alicia right now, you should be standing. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll say, stay standing. Stay. You don't like it. We're going to join you in just a second. Endure 30 more seconds of awkward, okay? You're going to put your kids through that on two Mondays from now. Thank you. We're in your corner. We think what you do is a big deal. And we want to encourage your walk with Jesus because you are doing something that's so valuable to us. And so as we close our time in prayer this morning, I want to pray especially over you. Lord Jesus, Thank you for the men and women who are choosing to be the hands, the feet, the voice, the heart, the mind, and the mouth of you in our schools. And we are asking now, fill them with your spirit of wisdom and skill that they do the work you've assigned them to do in the way you want them to do it. And every child that's in their class or team member on their administrative team, Lord, they're not there by accident. They're there on assignment. Use this body and these educators in this work. We're grateful for them. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Church, we do love you. You can even all stand so that it'll take the pressure off our educators. <laughs> uh, we would tell you, like we do every week, our desire would be to connect with you and our connections team is out in the foyer. But we also want to pray with you as well. If you've walked in with something heavy, let us have the privilege of doing that right in front of the baptistry. God bless you. It was fun enough we should do it again next week, huh? See you next Sunday.